Look at Romans chapter 5 for just a few minutes. I want to look at verses 6 through 11 for just a few minutes. Just to remind us of what's in verses 6 through 11 before we sing a song or two and come to the Lord's table. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. You saw that 425 is describing our legal justification by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 are describing practical benefits that we derive from that legal salvation. Then the apostle returns again to the legal work of Jesus Christ in verses 6 through 11. Then, of course, as you know, in verses 12 through 19, it's going to be a comparison of the first Adam and the second Adam. And verses 20 and 21 will tell us why the law was given to make sin abound. But where sin abounded because of that law, grace did much more abound. It's a wonderful chapter. I read to you verses 6 through 11. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful verses. Now, Brother Jerry and I were having a little debate here at break time because two times, verses 3 and 11, we have, and not only so, but he was worked up by the fact that verses 9 and 10 say much more. And And we're not even counting all the also's. Because when you have an also as an adverb, it's taking one thing and comparing or adding to it another thing. And this passage is just full of such expressions because the apostle is just piling up the legal accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ, legally in the sight of God and practically in the spiritual blessings that flow to us because of his legal work. Very quickly, then we sing. Verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, We believe that gospel. We don't believe that we were striving, seeking, or trying to be saved. The Bible does not put us in such a condition. How little strength did we have, according to Ephesians chapter 2? We were dead in trespasses and sins. That's no strength. For when we were yet without strength, when God looked down and saw all the children of men, did He see any that were striving with their might? to understand Him, to follow Him, to obey Him. He looked down, according to Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, but He found none that were seeking Him. We were yet without strength. In due time, 4,000 years after creation, in due time, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. So much more could be said, even from the sixth verse. But look at it. 
God saved us, had Christ die for us when we were ungodly. Do you recall from Romans chapter 4 in the early verses, it tells us, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. That is how we are seen and viewed by God before He saves us by His own power. By His determinate counsel, in eternity He chose us. Then in the fullness of time, in due time, 4,000 years after creation, 2,000 years ago, He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to actually, literally, legally die for us to purchase the redemption and the salvation that He had planned and designed for us and purposed for us from the foundation of the world. And what did he see when he looked at us? No strength at all. We were dead. We were enemies of God. Our strength, and there was strength, but there was no strength toward God. You had some strength, didn't you? We had strength for sin. We were strong for sin. We were strong for the devil. We were following the course of this world and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. But as far as any strength for him, none. When we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Thank God for pure, demerited favor, which is called grace. If it wasn't for this, none of us would be saved. The whole world, much, much of the Christian world wants to believe that God looked down through time and saw who would use their strength to pursue God, and therefore God elected them. It's called conditional election, meaning that election is conditioned upon man's obedience. We don't believe that. We believe unconditional election, that God elected us by His own pure free choice, because when He looked down, He didn't see us fulfilling any conditions. When we were without strength. Verse 7, for scarcely. Now He's going to explain Jesus dying for the ungodly. Jesus dying for the godly would be one thing. What if there was a segment of the human race that was godly by nature? By nature, they loved God and offered sacrifices and sought His face and loved Him. Then it would be one thing for Christ to die to cover their sins. But it says He died for the ungodly in verse 6. So verse 7 is going to explain that. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Have you ever heard of one man dying for another man simply because the first man was righteous? Scarcely. Have you ever heard that? Yet, peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. It could occur. It might occur. But I'd like to remind you of three words that are in verse 7. Scarcely, peradventure, and dare. It doesn't sound like it happens very often. It is an extremely exceptional case where a man dies for another man because he is righteous or good. This does not count when men are doing something together and they happen to get shot. That is not dying for another man because he is good. Jesus went consciously to his death. No soldier hardly ever goes consciously to his death. He intends that he's going to help the other bloke discover death. That's his goal. His goal is to save himself and to put the other out of his misery. But Jesus Christ did not accidentally die. He did not die while he was hoping or expecting to survive. 
he went intentionally to lay down his life for the ungodly. And scarcely, peradventure, it would be a dare. If anyone would dare to die for a good or a righteous man, it is so rare. So we come to that eighth verse that we know so well. God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If scarcely, if peradventure there might be one, if if there might be a man that would that would dare die for a good man, if that is a very rare occur, occurrence when a man would die for a good man, what about when God dies for the ungodly? When God sends Jesus Christ to die for the ungodly? What does that say? It says enough when a man would die for a good man, but what does it say when he dies for the ungodly? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's unfathomable. Why would he do it? To commend his love toward us. To commend it. To praise it. To exalt it. To glorify it. To enhance it. To beautify it. For you to appreciate God's love for us. He loved us when we were yet sinners and sent Jesus Christ to die for us when we had no strength. We were ungodly and we were sinners. We were not the good or righteous man of verse 7. And even if we were the good or righteous man of verse 7, it's a very unusual thing in the annals of human history for a man to die for another man simply because he's good or righteous. But God commendeth His love toward us in that. Here's the explanation of how God made His love so beautiful. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Unbelievable. We were without strength and ungodly in verse 6. Men just don't do it for good or righteous men in verse 7. But God did it for us while we were sinners, showing and commending His love. Why would He commend His love? Because He wants you to understand and appreciate how much He has loved you. And the Holy Spirit, according to the fifth verse, is seeking to shed that love of God for you abroad in your heart. Fill every nook and cranny of your heart. If, if we got a hold of the love of God for us, It would change your life and my life. And it will continue to change us until we are filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians three fourteen through 21. The Apostle Paul would reason, we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And if one died for all, they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and died for them. It should change our lives. No sacrifice would be too great. No tribulation would be too great. It wouldn't overcome us. Because God still loves us. God commends His love by explaining it in these three verses that I didn't die for you when you were good or righteous. Like there might be a rare exception in the human race that would do so. I died for you when you were a sinner. When you were without strength and when you were ungodly. Verse 9. Much more than. Jerry. Much more than. Now wait a minute. God dying for us when we were without strength, ungodly, and sinners, unlike what men do toward each other, that's good enough. No. Much more than. Verse 9. Much more than, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Being now justified. Jesus died on the cross. Justification is completed. We're acquitted in the sight of God. The legal transaction has taken place. Our sins are paid for by the death of the Son of God as a substitute. 
His righteousness is put on our accounts. That's justification by His blood. But there's something better than that, much more than being now justified by His blood. We shall be saved. There is a future deliverance that we are supposed to be considering as well. Because the apostle is building his case. We do not want to just be justified. We would like someone remembering that sacrifice and applying it for us on a regular basis. Remembering it before God. The sacrifice has been paid. It is finished. Our true words. But to have an intercessor that paid that price, interceding on our behalf for God is an added benefit and blessing. So it says in verse 9, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. If God gave His Son for us when we were ungodly sinners and without strength, how much more is God going to do for us with His Son alive, not shedding His blood, not on the cross, but alive at His own right hand? It's much more than just bare acquittal, bare justification, bare being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is a living Savior who is alive for us. And so verse 10 explains it. For if, for here's the explanation of verse 9. For if, when we were enemies, that's verses 6, 7, and 8. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of of His Son, much more. There's the second much more in two verses. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Rejoice in these words. Why in 11 verses do we have, and not only so, and not only so, much more, much more in 11 verses? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is just piling up the benefits of the Lord Jesus Christ's death for us. We are coming to His table. I want you to fully rejoice in it. God has commended. God has beautified His love by dying for us when we were without strength, sinners, and ungodly. But it's better than that. There's much more. He isn't once dying. He reconciled us to God once by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is no longer dying, and He is certainly not dead. He is alive at God's right hand, and that tenth verse is talking about it. You have a living Savior. And He is alive forevermore. Amen, is how He puts it in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. For if, when we were enemies, I'm repeating myself, I want you to get these verses and pull them together, For if when we were enemies, verses 6, 7, and 8, without strength, ungodly, sinners. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. (sighs) We're way down here as enemies, and the death of God's Son reconciled us to Him. No more enmity, no more wrath. No more anger. So the death of the Son of God got us from a state of being an enemy to a state of a reconciled friend. But there's something much better than that. The life of that Son of God now elevates us to the absolute sureness of our faith. How in the world can we be lost if the death of His Son raised us from being an enemy to being reconciled? What is the life of His Son going to do? It's going to take us from a state of reconciliation all the way up 
to where we are one with God, joint heirs with Christ. Behold, now are we the sons of God. This is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'm not good at explaining things, but I'm trying to explain it. If we start in a state of enmity against God, and God is our enemy, and His wrath is burning and smoking against us, and it's the death of His Son that reconciles us so that the enmity is all gone, what's the life of His Son going to accomplish by sitting at God's right hand and interceding for us daily? Isn't that fantastic? I'd hire Balaam's ass if it came in right now to do a better job. I'd put him right up here. My hair lip just doesn't... I, I hope you can see it. Jerry, much more. Nine, much more. Ten. I mean, the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention with a whole bunch of extra words that are not extra. They're just wonderful. And not only so, much more, much more, and not only so. But there's also's in there as well. And every time you find an also, you better appreciate an also. And also is meaning there's more than one thing under consideration. Read the Bible that way. Do you know how long you could take in Romans chapter 5? I wouldn't care if you came to me and said, Pastor, I've been reading in Romans 5 for the last two months. If you were reading and meditating upon it, it would profit your soul. Because this right here will change your life. Look at the the life-changing benefits are in 1 through 5. Peace with God, the grace wherein we stand, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, glorying in tribulations, and having the love of God shed abroad in your hearts. If you got that from two months of reading Romans 5, memorizing it, and thinking about every single clause and phrase of it, it would be well worth the effort. Then you could write us a song about Romans 5, and we'll sing it in this church. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more... If we start from this condition of being reconciled, what in the world is his life going to do for us? One of my best times with Bruce was talking to him about he needs a lawyer. You all heard the rest of it. I got so worked up talking to Brother Bruce about him needing a lawyer that I came and preached a sermon to you entitled, You Need a Lawyer. Do you remember? Because he's had to use lawyers before. He knows what the purpose of a lawyer is, but we have a lawyer. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And if He reconciled us to the judge by His death, what in the world's His life is our intercessor and mediator going to do for us? You have a doubt about your salvation. Which part of it are you doubting? Verse 11, and not only so. Come on now, Paul. You got as high as it can go in verse 10. That's as high as it can go. And not only so is how he opens 11. And not only so, but we, what's that little adverb there? We also joy. You mean there's other joy that he's already covered? Yeah, ten verses of it. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Put at one again with God. Enoch walked with God. We can walk with God, at one with God. The most important day on the Jewish calendar was the day of atonement, where the high priest went into that holy of holies, not without blood, for his own sins and for the sins of the people, to make atonement for the sins of the nation every year. But our atonement is done once for all. And so Paul says, and not only so, but we glor- we, we joy 
in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Adam sinned against God, went and hid in the trees of the garden, put so together a few fig leaves to cover himself because he and God were very separated. God comes into that garden. Adam, where are you? As if he didn't know. Do you think Adam knew where he was? Adam comes out of hiding. I was afraid. They were at enmity. Because you've done this, you're going to die because I've already cursed you with death. I'm going to make the soil give forth and you're going to labor in the sweat of your brow. And your wife is going to multiply her sorrow and conception every time she has a child. And she is going to be under bondage to you as her husband. Her desires are going to be to yours. He pounds them with the curses resulting from their sin. They were not at one. They were two separate antagonistic parties. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. Psalm 7 and verse 11. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Psalm 5 and verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. But the gospel is better. The gospel is the good news that we can now joy in that through our Lord Jesus Christ we have received the atonement. The Lord Jesus Christ put us at one again. All that enmity has gone. Run to your Father. Run to Him. Tell Him anything. Young people, I, I, I bared my soul to you on Wednesday night. I told you how I thank Him for every little cotton-picking thing. He's, he's the best friend in the whole universe. And we're a one because of this passage telling me so. And I believe this passage. Do you, do you joy in it? We're coming to the Lord's table. Let's joy in it. Amen. Let's joy. Look, look what he did for us in 6 through 11. Look what you can experience day by day in 1 through 5. I hope I've made the distinction clear today. Verses 1 through 5 and verses 6 through 11. 6 through 11 are going back and retracing some steps about the legal transaction that Jesus secured for us. But verses 1 through 5 are describing what we can have on a daily basis. Peace with God, this grace wherein we stand, rejoicing in hope. That that sounds like a decent life. Rejoicing in hope, glorying in tribulations, and having the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is all of Him. And if you notice, if you want to see something that's repeated, it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ as you work down through Romans chapter 5. Amen.